Welcome to the AKC Podcast, an audio resource for the King's community following the Associateship of King's College programme. The AKC is an inclusive, research-led programme of lectures, which explore diverse religious and cultural perspectives. For more information, visit kcl.ac.uk forward slash AKC. Lecture resources and further reading links for this lecture are available on the AKC Keats area. Hi everyone, I'm Dr Ruth Sheldon and I'd like to begin by thanking Professor Joan Taylor and the AKC team for the opportunity to bring a Jewish touch to this AKC lecture series. So in this talk, I'm going to be focusing on a central and contested question, which is one of the cornerstones of monotheistic and secular ethics within our contemporary society. And that is the question of how neighbours should live together within the modern cosmopolitan city. So how should we treat those who we acknowledge as different and as dwelling near to us? And this is, of course, one of the most profound ethical questions that there is, with academic responses traversing the disciplines of theology, philosophy, psychoanalysis and the social sciences, amongst other disciplines. Now, as an ethnographer, my interest and entry point into this question is slightly different to those who might approach it in a more lofty, scriptural or speculative register. So I'm interested in how this ethical, political and theological question, how we should treat neighbours of different kinds, emerges in the midst of the everyday material choreography of our lives together. And how do our responses to this question take shape as we bodily, or as sociologists like to say, embodied beings, rub shoulders as we move around our particular neighbourhoods? So before saying a bit more about the slightly elusive title of my talk on Jewish touch, I'd like to begin by presenting you with a scene drawn from my long-term ethnographic research, exploring everyday relationships between neighbours in the area where I live, the London borough of Hackney. So in September 2014, a local dispute in the London neighbourhood of Stamford Hill in Hackney hit the national and international headlines. The media reported that signs in Yiddish and English asking women to walk on one side of the street had been displayed by strictly orthodox Jewish, also known as Haredi or Hasidic residents, in preparation for a religious event. This event was a parade of a newly arrived Torah scroll, which had arrived, which had come from um, Eastern Europe and was a sacred object, really, for local um, Haredi residents. So this was to be paraded around the streets surrounding a local synagogue. And this was the context within which these signs had put up. So were put up. So images of the signs were then posted on social media and the public response was immediate and visceral. Commentators took to Twitter denouncing these Haredi Jews for being part of what was called a fundamentalist, misogynistic and insular religious community. 
It was claimed that this was a religious community whose religious laws of modesty and segregation conflicted with liberal British values of freedom, equality, civility and mixing between neighbours. So in the following days, Hackney Council weighed in, stating that it is, of course, quite unacceptable to try to restrict women's movements in a public place. Then a local Jewish community spokesperson sought to appease things by explaining that the posters were only intended for Orthodox Jewish residents who were participating in the parade to prevent Jewish women and men from touching during this particular ritual. Despite or perhaps because of these interventions, the social media debates only intensified, with members of the public who identified as secular or liberal expressing their outrage. People claimed that that such so-called backward religious practices must be confined to, to private spaces, to the home or to the synagogue. Within modern Progressive Britain, it was argued, women and men and people from different ethno-religious groups must be free to mix, not only metaphorically, um, in the sense of mixing different cultures or viewpoints, but in a very physical bodily sense when inhabiting the public streets of the city. The consequences, some went on to argue, for those who refused to subscribe to these norms was clear. This These people cannot belong in Britain. So as one tweet put it, if they want women to walk on the opposite side of the road, they should find a country that will accept them and their childish, stupid ways and go there. Now, as is the way with these public controversies, the media fuss soon dissipated. But then in 2016, So a few months after the Brexit referendum vote for Britain to leave the European Union, the incident cropped up again. The context for this was a high profile government policy review on the question of the integration of religious and ethnic minorities in Britain. This Casey report referenced the Torah Parade incident as evidence for the difficulties of integrating religious minorities into mainstream British society. So this incident was taken as one more example of an apparently irreconcilable division between the insular moral and embodied culture of a conservative Jewish religious community and modern secular so-called British values of openness, tolerance and respect between neighbours. Now, in one sense, the outrage provoked by this incident was unsurprising. As religious and ethnic diversity has increased over many decades in Britain, debates over the threat to so-called British values of neighbouring have been a recurrent feature of political life. So claims around the alleged death of multiculturalism have frequently centred around questions of mixing, as well as on the dangers um, associated with bodily expressions of difference. So here one landmark moment was the 2001 publication of a report entitled Community Cohesion by Ted Cantle, which followed um, riots that had taken place in northern English towns. So this report argued against the celebration of difference, um, which had been taken up in a 
um, grassroots politics of multiculturalism and celebrating um, multiculturalism, claiming that this had resulted in ethnic and religious communities living segregated lives and that allowing minority religious cultures um, associated with immigrants to flourish posed a danger to the social fabric of liberal Britain. Now, of course, in the past two decades, this discourse has intensified across Western Europe with the so-called war on terror and the anti-immigrant rhetoric associated with Britain's vote to leave the European Union, also known as Brexit. So we've seen debates focused both on questions of segregation and extremism in which particular material symbols, so bodily markers of difference, such as the so-called Muslim veil, have really taken centre stage. Now, while the figure of the Muslim neighbour has been particularly framed in relation to um, paranoid fears around the threat of the so-called terrorist next door, strictly orthodox Jewish groups have been linked with more mundane threats to the fabric of everyday civil relations in the cosmopolitan city. So strictly orthodox Jewish movements who are distinguished from modern orthodoxy in terms of a particularly pious observation of Jewish law and customs um, have grown in size and visibility within Western urban centres in recent years. Such groups are, like um, some other minority religions, marked out by a distinctive bodily presence, so a distinctive form of modest dress and particular ways of comporting the body that visibly express difference from secular, modern, um, mainstream norms. And as such, strictly orthodox Jewish movements have become the focus of a specific kind of secular discourse. So this discourse posits the idea that particular conservative religious cultures act as obstacles to cosmopolitan forms of urban living, and that such communities are the carriers of moral and embodied cultures that erode proper fellow feeling amongst neighbours. So all of this is to say that it was not particularly surprising that the Torah parade incident blew up into a media controversy. And yet I want to argue that it's nonetheless worthy, this incident is nonetheless worthy of our attention for several reasons. So one reason is that Hackney, the London borough of Hackney, has been widely identified by researchers of everyday diversity as an exemplary site of intercultural conviviality. So in recent decades, researchers in my field concerned with multiculturalism and diversity have really flocked to Hackney. And it's been known um, for being one of the most culturally diverse boroughs in Britain and as a really fruitful site for activist researchers to challenge the anti-immigrant death of multiculturalism claims of politicians. So research in this area has highlighted how well neighbours from different backgrounds rub along at the banal everyday level in their encounters and interactions in shops and parks and cafes and school playgrounds, all of which add up to what anthropologist Suzanne Wesendorf has called a shared ethos of mixing. 
But in this context, researchers have framed Haredi Jewish neighbours as an outlier, an exception, and a problem in relation to this overall idea of convivial mixing. And secular researchers who otherwise emphasise the idea that culture is fluid, is dialogical and is messy, is created in the in-between spaces as people interact with each other, have assumed that um, this problem in relation to the Haredi um, Jewish residents is a consequence of a particular, um, and this is framed often in a a simplistic and reductive way, a kind of essential, um, strict religious culture and set of convictions that specifically um, linked to this community. So in this talk, I want to think about why this Jewish question in Hackney has ended up reproducing such polarised and divisive ways of thinking about secular and religious culture within the cosmopolitan city. And these are, what I'm saying, div divisive ways of thinking that um, are not only within um, social media commentaries or in general public debate, but have also been replicated by researchers who would otherwise be taking a much more kind of critical perspective on reductive understandings of cultural difference. So what is it about this religious Jewish presence within modern lo London that's proved such an obstacle to nuanced and we might say convivial understanding? But there's also a second aspect of this Torah parade event, this incident that I started with, that I'd like to dwell on. And this is the focus on the question of physical touch. So on the, the expressed desire for neighbours to quite literally rub along together for different bodies um, dwelling in physical proximity in the streets of, of the neighbourhood to be able to touch. And notably, this issue of touch has been a prominent feature of tensions involving relations between non-Jewish and Jewish neighbours in Hackney for some time. So in a prominent example, journalist and local resident Christina Patterson wrote a very controversial article in a British broadsheet in 2010 in which she denounced her Hasidic neighbours for, um, as she put it, recoiling from contact, for example, refusing to touch hands when exchanging money in a shop or to brush against her on the bus. So my second question is, what is at stake in this apparent secular desire for physical intimacy with religious Jewish neighbours? And how does reflecting on this desire unsettle the more abstract disembodied accounts of the urban ethics of neighbouring um, in the cosmopolitan city that we often find in um, sociological literature? What does this reveal about the limits to our existing ways of thinking about our embodied lives together, this, just focusing and dwelling on this incident? And then finally, I want to ask, how do such controversies look from the perspective of those neighbours? So here I'm going to focus particularly on Haredi women, whose bodies have become um, symbolic and political objects 
in these debates, but whose own embodied and bodily experiences have not been considered um, as um, part of these political conversations. Okay, in addressing these questions, I'm going to be opening up two different ways of thinking about bodies within social theory and political life. So the first um, approaches bodies as signifiers of difference. So that is, it reads modest clothing or practices of gender segregation, walking on separate sides of the street, as signs of an underlying cultural difference. So in exploring this, I'm going to ask how Jewish bodies and the desire for or avoidance of Jewish touch have become symbolically significant within urban centres of Christian Europe. And I'm going to be unpacking what I will term Christian secular ways of imagining Jewish bodies um, and linking this with histories of anti-Semitism across Europe and more specifically in Hackney. Then, after exploring the symbolic significance of Jewish bodies and Jewish touch, I'm going to open up an alternative way of figuring bodies in relation to the ethics of neighbouring. So I'm going to be drawing on the relationships I developed with some Hasidic neighbours in Hackney during the divisive Brexit period. And I will be exploring how Jewish traditions cultivate bodily gestures, ways of holding oneself and responding to those we live next to, which also challenge us to think anew about our own um, secular embodied um, practices and norms, and particularly in relation to the values of conviviality and respect in our lives with others. Okay, so let's turn to Hackney and think about how the um, symbolic uh, framing of um, bodily relations between Jewish and non-Jewish neighbours has um, taken shape. What's the background um, to the controversy that I opened with within the context of Hackney? So in recent years, accounts of the multicultural history of the borough have highlighted the prominent role played by Jewish migrants, um, with Jews being amongst the first migrants to settle in the borough of Hackney. And by the night, by the mid-1950s, the neighbourhoods in the north of the borough, Stoke Newington and Stamford Hill, being home to a flourishing mainstream Jewish population. Um, as um, researchers Ben Gidley and Sami Everett have discussed, the figure of the East End Jewish neighbour has been symbolically significant, providing inspiration for researchers and activists who've highlighted the benefits of diversity and multiculturalism. So here there's been an image of a kind of unruly Anglo-Yiddish culture brought by Jewish migrants to the borough, which was for a long time taken to exemplify the creative, linguistic, cultural and commercial possibilities of hybridity and mixing within um, multicultural London. However, despite its symbolic significance, a lesser told story of Hackney's present so-called super diversity includes the gradual disappearance of this um, East End Jewish form of life. So the Jewish 
presence of the mid-20th century has, it's argued, been the victim of patterns of local assimilation, upward migration to the suburbs, and also significantly local histories of anti-Semitism. So Hackney was in the mid-20th century the focus for post-war fascist demonstrations, which, as Alex Rees-Taylor um, has highlighted, um, focused on um, anti-Semitic claims about the Jewish contagion of white British culture. So, for example, there were um, a number of conflicts that focused on the threat posed by Jewish traders in um, Hackney's Ridley Road markets, a very famous food market in Dulston in Hackney. And in this way, we might say that in the background of Hackney's present super diversity and conviviality is this kind of hidden history of what sociologist Zygmunt Bauman termed proteophobia, the anxiety caused by those who don't fall easily into any established category. So Jewish migrants were threatening, in other words, um, because they could look and act like Christians their, and their capacity to blend in, including passing as white, meant that they could potentially enter into and corrupt the mainstream culture. So they were symbolically a threat to the kind of purity of white English Christian culture. And as this history highlights, this anti-Semitic discourse has also focused on the supposed physicality and corporeality of the Jewish presence. So these traders in the market um, and the ways in which in focusing on the kind of embodied presence, the physical presence, the material presence, the foods and smells and tastes and sounds associated with um, that Jewish traders were bringing into the market. This resonates with long histories of um, Christian anti-Semitism. So I'm just going to diverge a little bit to say a bit more about that. Um, in his very wide-ranging history of the body and bodily experience within Western cities, Flesh and Stone, this is the name of his book, Richard Sennett puts this in a wider perspective. Writing about the response to Jewish migrants amongst Christians in Renaissance Venice, Sennett highlights how Jews became associated with bodily vice, excessive sensuality, particularly via their involvement in usury money lending, being one of the few occupations open to Jews. Senate highlights how these representations um, of Jewish bodies took place at a time when Christian elites were engaged in a moral project of trying to clean up this multicultural city, articulating a vision of um, the virtuous Christian subject who is required to transcend the lowly temptations of the flesh which really pervaded the city at this point. And so the image of the carnal Jew was a focus for the projections and the repressed desires of Christians at this time, um, a kind of receptacle for all of those associations with 
transgressive and um, immoral, impure desires. And the and so it was through the Jew figuring as this other in this way that a sense of Christian moral virtue took shape. So all of this is to say that within Christian Europe, there is a long history of deep ambivalence towards Jewish bodies, which have figured as carnal, as contaminating and as dangerously seductive. And practices of othering and maintaining distance from the Jewish other have been key to the development of multicultural relations, not only within these other more historical um, European contexts, but also within the locality of Hackney. So, okay, so you might say, well, this is all well and good, but how does my emphasis on historical fears of Jewish touch relate to the contemporary case of the Torah procession? Isn't this modern case about precisely the opposite? A secular, or given how much British secularism has been shaped by Protestant culture, a secular Christian demand for contact with Orthodox Jewish neighbours. In this case, isn't it the religious Jewish neighbour who is refusing intimacy and touch, in contrast to a clear secular Christian desire for contact and mixing? So this is a very good question. And in response, I want to make the case that contemporary secular appeals for contact and mixing with neighbours are not so clear cut as they might seem. That in fact, these relations continue to be pervaded by ambivalence towards bodily contact with difference within Christian Europe. So in order to expand on this, I'm going to draw on my ethnographic material and share a story about one of the Hasidic women I came to know during my fieldwork, who I will call Gilla. I first met Gilla, an Israeli-British Hasidic woman, in 2015. A senior healthcare professional working with Jewish community organisations in the borough, Gilla had been very willing to act as my gatekeeper, as um, somebody who was introducing me in my fieldwork despite belonging to a Hasidic group not known for outreach. Arriving in Stamford Hill in the 1970s, Giller's biography forms part of um, the wider story of the arrival and growth and reception of the strictly Orthodox Haredi community in the north of the borough, many of whom migrated from Eastern Europe after the Holocaust and during the Cold War, and whose problematic status as a religious community has been something quite separate from the idealised images of an East End Jewish culture that I was referring to um, previously. So sitting with Gilla around her dining room table, I began to learn about her perspective on the issue of Haredi self-protection. Gilla described how her own biography was in fact enmeshed with histories of anti-Semitism and Jewish exclusion in the borough, as well as a wider sense of really carrying the legacies of the Holocaust in Europe. Arriving as an Israeli immigrant in Stamford Hill at a time when, as she put it, foreigners were mainly Jewish people, 
so she counting herself as a foreigner. And but there was a lot, a lot, as she put it, of English people. She had, as a mother of young children, been keen to integrate into the borough. Yet moving outside of Jewish spaces, she'd found herself subject to racialising stares and anti-Semitic comments such as dirty Jew, which were directed at her visible bodily difference. At the same time, her Jewish neighbours in Stamford Hill carried wider European histories, which made any expression of her desire to integrate extremely risky. So many people living in Stamford Hill, she explained, had ancestors living in Europe who were um, in those European cities and, and societies very, very integrated before the Second World War. And then alluding to the Holocaust, she continued, you know what happened. She added that by creating distance, practices of marking boundaries keep the Jewish family safe. So there was a really strong emphasis on safety in the way that she articulated this. So at stake then in Giller's embodiment of boundaries was, I would suggest, much more than a depoliticized expression of religious conviction. Rather, her um, the kind of embodied history that was shaping this was bound up with these wider political dynamics of English anti-Semitism in Hackney, which were in turn shadowed by legacies of Europe's historical annihilation of Jewish communities and cultures in Europe and across Europe. Such histories had, Giller later explained, been brought to life quite viscerally from her Jewish perspective in the atmosphere and attitudes inaugurated by Brexit. So when we met up again in the aftermath of Britain's vote to leave the European Union, um, amid reports of increasing anti-Semitic as well as Islamophobic attacks in the borough, Giller expressed this as follows. She said, I think the English people are becoming more extremist in their approach to strangers. Because I think one of the things I love about the English people is that they're very accepting. And by English here, it's interesting to think that she was also talking about um, Christian um, and non-Jewish people. And um, she said, I think the Brexit is the proof that people become more, um, and she said, what's it called? I'm missing the word. She continued, it reminds me a little bit of Germany before the war, that people only, if you're like blonde and blue eyes, you are a person. We don't want the others here. We don't want strangers. So strikingly then, if we approach things from Gillis' perspective, we can see that Hasidic practices of self-protection can't really be explained away just as symbols of some fixed immutable religious convictions, but rather these are ways of insulating and protecting Jewish bodies that have been shaped by very live um, historical and contemporary processes of the racialization of Jewish bodies. And as a response to um, to experiences of um, the anti-Semitic representation of Jewish bodies as threatening and different. So let me continue with Giller's story a little bit more, or the story of my relationship with Giller. 
It was a, a cold winter's morning in 2016 and I was standing with Giller on one of the main commercial streets in Stamford Hill, an area of Hackney that's home to the largest population of Haredi Jews in Europe. So as part of my fieldwork, I'd been accompanying Giller around the neighbourhood and in the process I'd found myself drawn into an interpersonal choreography which diverged from the more familiar liberal norms around how to be in public space that I was used to. Boundaries and specifically the avoidance of touch were, Giller asserted, essential. They keep our community safe. And this was not a metaphorical or symbolic matter, but rather in her framing, bodies and morality were fused so that, as she put it, we won't give hands, we won't use first name. So for Giller, what sociologists call the parochial, the kind of semi-public spaces of the neighbourhood, like kind of residential streets, were a significant site for her boundary work. Giller's Jewish neighbours, she told me, would find it queer if she were to stand in the street talking to a non-Jewish colleague. And at stake in such moments, she explained, such gestures of being careful um, about who you talk to and how close you are to people, was the regulation of what she called explosive feelings, both proximity to um, sexuality and secularism. And the risk identified within our scriptures, as she put it, of proximity to the seductions of otherness. At the same time, Giller's relationship to me, which was marked through my own, I'd taken on the modest dress um, of an insider, um, revealed a kind of flip side to this form of sociality. So as we paused outside her office before saying goodbye, she initiated a, an invasive probing of my Jewish identity, my family name, my family history, my marital relationship. And then her attention turned towards a young Haredi woman who approached pushing twins in a buggy. Gilla muttered to me, I know her from my antenatal classes. And then um, this was a statement that I kind of put next to something else that she'd said to me, which is that everyone knows everyone in Stamford Hill. And she promptly followed up with, of course, I can't remember her name, but I pretend that I do. So she then peered into this buggy of um, the, this woman that she claimed to know, and she waggled her fingers at the babies, commenting on their gender and on family resemblances. And as such, these very intimate gestures with somebody whose name she couldn't remember kind of undid the secular Christian demarcations between the private, the parochial and the public, between kin, relatives, neighbours and strangers, which usually govern and structure these kinds of spaces. So this brings me to a strange kind of a paradox that I want to suggest underpins secular demands for contact with Haredi neighbours. For as Suzanne Wesendorf, um, the anthropologist who's done research looking at um, this ethos of mixing in Hackney, um, has observed, the mainstream ethos of neighbouring within the borough is preoccupied with contact, but alongside making sure that the separateness of individuals is respected. So the ideal form of relation 
is one characterized, as she puts it, neither by close personal ties nor anonymous ties, such as those in public space. These are the ideal relations between neighbours. An ethic of helpfulness and also typical English politeness, where you don't ask too many questions, so you avoid the risk of potential um, tensions. So in other words, this English ethos of neighbourly contact is governed by civility and respect, um, principles of treating people universally the same, and at the same time, a kind of containment of private views and and desires, the maintenance of individual integrity, which is, as another sociologist, Jill Valentine has written, um, is what Britishness is all about. So framed in this light, it was not Giller's self-segregation that was so threatening, but precisely the opposite, her willingness to reach into the buggies, to reach into the personal lives of, of her neighbours, including myself. Not her lack of intimacy, but rather an over-intimacy, a willingness not just to brush up against, but rather to traverse the boundaries between her life and those of her neighbours. Okay, so let me just return to my meeting with Giller um, after the Brexit referendum when I was in her home and I began to learn more about this ethos of reaching in. So Giller told me about her professional work and she was talking about this. She was talking about her involvement over the past 15 years in various maternity initiatives where she'd been working closely with the English statutory authorities, so with the NHS and local health providers. In our first meeting, Giller um, had enjoyed subverting um, what she called the beliefs of the outside world regarding the um, what it means to be a Haredi woman and the supposed um, modesty and insularity of Haredi women. So she explained how, as a professional woman, she sort of went over towards the English outside world, a process producing tensions which crystallised around the bodily practice of shaking hands. So talking about how she, she negotiated the expectation to shake hands, she explained how her kind of bodily way of being separate yet engaged with her English colleagues actually worked to create greater cultural understanding and intimacy. So she said to me, the way that most of these women dress will also make it boundaried, because if a woman is very well covered and she's meeting with people from the outside world, they will already realise that they have to keep boundaries. Do you understand? Nobody gives me a hand, especially not in Hackney. People know about it. So physical touch then was central to Giller's embodied negotiation of these conflicting social and bodily norms of the Jewish and the outside world. But more than this, the way that she navigated this gesture revealed her willingness to kind of go over to the English perspective, to be compassionate towards and to educate her non-Jewish colleagues. At the same time, Giller challenged the idea of a simple contrast between a culture of Jewish modesty versus an English culture of openness to others. 
So as Gilla talked me through her negotiation of relations with the outside world, she began to talk about how, as a professional, she had to embody certain English ways. That is, being professional, being English in this sense, required her to be more constrained than she would usually be. This meant being tolerant, but also abiding by strict conventions, avoiding over-intimacy when with colleagues and, and, provide, and when providing services for those in need. So Englishness in Giller's paradoxical framing consisted of being open-minded, being accepting, and yet English society is also, and here she turned to Yiddish, um, Zurich Bleben, which she um, translated as held back. And so while Giller then talked about how she complied with this English form of held back professionalism, this was also alongside a more subversive response that she claimed as a kind of Jewish response. So she said the English can be very queer, coming up with all kinds of klutzy ideas about how to support Orthodox Jewish women, which are lacking in a willingness to really become intimate with how Jewish networks and relationships work. So, for example, to understand the lack of trust in the NHS and social services and the fear of being open with outsiders about mental health difficulties. In response, she explained her pragmatic approach to working with Jewish mothers in that she said we will maintain some boundaries, but we will do what we need to do. In such crucial moments, then, Gila would make the call to become, as she put it, a bit less professional and a bit more caring disregarding this kind of held backness, she would transgress boundaries, making intimate interventions in the personal lives of her neighbours. So she would, for example, respond to circulating knowledge um, within the community, within social networks about the emotional stress, distress of young mothers in the neighbourhood. Um, and take up what she intuitively knew to be their vulnerability and their needs in order to proactively engage with them. So the thing that I want to just draw out here is how much this undermines a simplistic idea of a contrast between secular liberal openness and contact versus religious segregation. Giller's self-conscious preoccupation with shaking hands expressed the power of secular civility in regulating her negotiations of proximity. But she wasn't just passively subscribing to this secular ethos. She was also articulating um, her response to English professionalism in um, embodying something she called care. And care in this framing was a distinctively countercultural, transgressive relation to one's neighbours. It was shaped through the undoing of distinctions between the public and the private spheres and the traversal of the intimate realm of the other. So a willingness to transgress the laws of secular civility that hold the physical separateness of neighbours in place. OK, so I just want to share one final public scene of Jewish touch, which fe featured in social media towards the end of my fieldwork. 
And this took place in June 2017, the day after a murderous terror attack by a white English nationalist on worshippers at Finsbury Park Mosque, which is located next to Stamford Hill. Reporting on the scenes outside the mosque the day after the attack, a fellow sociologist described the gathering on Facebook. Contrasting the media's apparent indifference to this Islamophobic violence with the sombre response to an Islamist attack in Westminster a few months previously, he posted on Facebook, at Finsbury Park, scores of journalists, but not one of them observed the 11 o'clock minute silence. Paul Gilroy, who is a well-known scholar of multiculturalism, is here and he captured the feelings of many. Can not one of you shut up for just one minute and show some respect for the dead? You were silent for Westminster. Why not this? Meanwhile, a Haredi Jew just walked past a young Muslim and said, Assalamu alaikum. The young guy rubbed his shoulder, nodded and smiled in return. Reflecting the warm response of the assembled online Facebook community, someone responded appreciatively. That's really encouraging about the Hasid. Amidst the bad press the community ubiquitously gets for its unwillingness to bend to the moors of outsiders, accounts of frequent demonstrations of quiet respect in Stamford Hill are often missed. So encountering a scene in, in contrasting a scene of racist violence with a moment of quiet respect, my colleague drew on a familiar tactic. He was seeking to highlight the everyday conviviality that exists to challenge shrill narratives of conflict and violence. And this can be understood if we consider how recent months and years during this post-Brexit referendum period had seen rising expressions of right-wing populist nationalism and an increase in local Islamophobic and anti-Semitic attacks within this local area. Viewed within this political context, a sociological investment in rubbing shoulders was understandable. However, in arriving at this scene, after all I've discussed, we can consider that maybe there's something lacking in highlighting this as an achievement of quiet respect between Jews and Muslims. So why, we might ask, in the context of white nationalist violence, was a Jewish Muslim shoulder rub so appealing to a secular audience? I want to suggest that our dominant secular vocabularies of neighbouring um, and of contact and of touch can fail to articulate the nature of such an intuitive, tender exchange of words and touch between neighbours. Rather than framing this in the language of respect and tolerance, what happens when we think about it in terms of Giller's language um, of care, of bodily gestures that in Hebrew find expression in the concept of chesed. So this concept of care or chesed evokes forms of touch that diverge from convivial or respectful gestures preoccupied with politeness and autonomy. Chesed or care evokes a willingness to reach across to cling to others and to risk transgressing the civil boundaries that keep the integrity and the autonomy of the individual subject that has been so important within the history of Protestant political thought in place. 
So this is a form of relatedness that's not just about mixing across lines of difference that are known in advance, but rather about doing what needs to be done to respond to the pain and the need of the neighbour. Now, there is much more to say about the ambiguity of this form of care. So there are dangers and risks as well as possibilities associated with such porous and sticky relations. And in my current research and writing, I am really focusing on exploring and unpacking this ambiguity. But for now, I hope that in this lecture, I have opened up a space for thinking together about the complexity of the traditions, practices and ethics of touch between secular, religious, uh, Christian and Jewish neighbours in the cosmopolitan city. And I just want to conclude here finally by saying something about what I earlier highlighted as the somewhat elusive title of this talk, Jewish Touch. So in the course of this lecture, I've sought to challenge a prominent political discourse which identifies lack of fellow feeling, the risk of, of lack of fellow feeling, in a reified Jewish culture of embodiment. So I challenged, for example, the idea that a Haredi woman shrinking from contact be explained in terms of problematic religious convictions. My approach to Jewish touch has instead highlighted the relational, the political and historical context that shapes um, contemporary Jewish touch. And I've explored how the avoidance and elicitation of touch between Orthodox Jewish and secular neighbours needs to be understood in relation to these histories of belonging, exclusion and anti-Semitism, as well as in relation to circulating, if secularised, Christian norms around contact and mixing across difference. At the same time, I've also tried to provide a kind of initial window, um, an initial intimacy with some Jewish and specifically Hasidic perspectives, taking Hasidicism as a philosophy and an embodied form of life which shapes subversive and ethically significant possibilities for neighbouring. Okay, so I'll stop here, but I hope that I've at least got you thinking about the challenges and the possibilities of our embodied life with our neighbours and how in the midst of politically and socially divisive times, be that in relation to Brexit or, of course, in relation to the pandemic too, we can reflect on what it means to touch and to be touched by those who dwell near to us in our everyday lives. Thank you for listening to the AKC podcast. If you have enjoyed this lecture, please click subscribe in your podcast app to receive future episodes. AKC, at the heart of King's thinking.